Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading for this Easter Sunday is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, the verses 1 through 23. Let us hear the word of God. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain." Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming." The text for the sermon today is taken from this portion of the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, where we read these words, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his Word. Dear friends, some things in life simply cannot be disputed, even though we may have no first knowledge of them. We cannot dispute the fact that the earth is round and not flat. We cannot dispute the fact that Christopher Columbus was the first European to discover America. We cannot dispute the fact that viruses make people sick. These things are settled and established facts, and to dispute them would be utterly foolish. 
Well, this is also true for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most indisputable fact in history is that Christ has risen from the dead. And Paul says as much in the words of our text in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. There the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul here confidently affirms the resurrection of Christ. And it's to that verse that we now turn our attention with the Lord's help. My theme is Paul confidently affirms the resurrection of Christ. We'll consider four thoughts. First of all, the need for this affirmation. Secondly, the ground of this affirmation. Thirdly, the importance of this affirmation. And finally, the comfort of this affirmation. The Apostle Paul in our text strongly affirms the resurrection of Christ. But now he writes, Christ is risen from the dead. Now why did Paul feel this need to affirm this truth so strongly? Well, the reason is because there were some in the church at Corinth who denied it. Not directly, but indirectly. And we read about this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12. There the apostle, after reminding the Corinthians in verses 1 through 4, that he had always preached the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead, and after listing the various eyewitnesses of the resurrection in verses 5 through 8, he writes this, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now you notice the Corinthians did not actually deny the resurrection of Christ. They denied only the doctrine of the resurrection, at least the bodily resurrection. Now, why some in the church at Corinth denied this doctrine is not clear. It's possible that some of them were influenced by Greek philosophy. The Greeks elevated the spiritual over the physical and the material. And so, when it came to man, they said that the essence of man is his soul, His body is merely the outward casing. Some even went so far as to say that the body is the prison house of the soul. Now with such a view, it's not difficult to see why some had such difficulty with the resurrection. How could the soul be reunited with the body, they asked? Would that not diminish the perfection of the life to come? How can the life to come be perfect if we are trapped inside a material body? And therefore, therefore, while they affirmed the existence of life after death, they denied the resurrection of the body. If there is a resurrection at all, they said, it is only spiritual. Well, did they also deny the resurrection of Christ? Well, no, they didn't. But they put a different spin on it. They said that the resurrection of Christ was not physical, but rather spiritual. Paul, however, points out in verse 13 that if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, that will have disastrous consequences on our faith. And the Apostle Paul goes on to spell that out in verses 14 to 19, and we'll come back to that later. Now, over and against this, the Apostle says, no, He says, now Christ is risen bodily from the dead. In other words, whatever some might say to the contrary, I assure you that Christ did indeed rise bodily 
from the dead, of that you can be absolutely certain. Now, dear friends, it goes without saying that we need to affirm that same fundamental truth today. And that's because there are many in the church today, we call them liberals, who deny this doctrine. They can be found mostly in mainline Protestant churches. In their view, Christ did not actually rise from the dead. And to defend that view, they make two claims. They, they say, first of all, that Christ did not really die. He merely fainted or he went into a coma. We call that the swoon theory. Christ merely swooned on the cross. Later, when he was placed in the cold, damp tomb, he revived and made his way out of the tomb. But friends, that is utterly ridiculous. First of all, the Bible tells us that the Roman soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and out came blood and water, proving definitively that Jesus was really dead. Secondly, how could Christ, who was so physically weak that he went into a coma, roll away the stone from the tomb and overpower the Roman soldiers who were guarding it? It's utter nonsense. Secondly, they say that the disciples did not really see Christ. They only imagined that they saw him. In other words, they were hallucinating. But that theory overlooks the fact that hallucinations happen to people who are more or less expecting them. But the disciples, especially Thomas, never imagined seeing Jesus again. What is more, hallucinations tend to continue once they start. But the appearances of Christ were mostly on the first day, and they ceased abruptly after 40 days. What is more, hallucinations are personal. But Paul said that more than 500 people saw the risen Christ at one time. The resurrection appearances simply do not conform to what we know about hallucinations. And so with the Apostle Paul, we strongly and confidently affirm that Christ is risen from the dead. Now what's the ground of that affirmation? That brings us to our second point. Why did Paul and why do we so strongly affirm that Christ has risen from the dead? Well, the answer is simply this, because it is supported by irrefutable evidence. Now, what's the evidence? What evidence is there to prove that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, there are many strands of evidence, but I'll limit myself only to two. The first is the empty tomb. The Bible says that on the day that Christ rose from the dead, the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was rolled away. And later on, when the women came to, to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus for burial, they saw that the tomb was empty. And so did Peter and John. Now, how do we explain this? Well, the disciples could not have taken his body because the tomb was guarded by several Roman soldiers. And there's no way that they could ever have gotten past them. Besides, according to Matthew's gospel, the Roman soldiers themselves reported to the Sanhedrin what had happened. And the Sanhedrin, in turn, paid them a large sum of money on the condition that they say that his disciples came at night and stole him away while they slept. The Roman soldiers would not have taken the body of Jesus either. For one thing, they would have no motive for doing so. And for another thing, the tomb was sealed. And if they broke the seal and stole the body, there would be serious consequences. 
Well, what about the religious leaders of the Jews? Would they have stolen the body of Jesus? Most certainly not. That would only give credence to Jesus' statement that on the third day he would rise again, which they knew about. Well, how then do we account for the fact that the tomb was empty? There's only one possible explanation. Jesus rose from the dead. But there's another strand of evidence that proves that Christ has risen from the dead, and that is the many witnesses. This, in fact, is the very argument that the Apostle Paul uses in our text chapter in verses 5 through 8. There the Apostle mentions several witnesses who saw the risen Christ. He mentions, first of all, Cephas, or Peter. Now, we don't know when Jesus met with Peter, as that meeting is not recorded for us in the Gospels. It's likely that he did so immediately after appearing to the women and to Mary Magdalene in the garden. Why did Jesus appear to Peter? Well, probably because Peter had denied him three times, and Jesus wanted to speak to him about that and assure him that he still loved him. One writer says that Jesus appeared to Peter not because Peter deserved to see him, but because he needed to see him. Whatever the case, Peter saw him. And the disciples themselves acknowledged as much. In Luke 24, verse 34, upon seeing the two men on the way to Emmaus, the disciples declared, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And Paul was aware of this, and so he cites Peter as one of the witnesses of the resurrected Christ. And then there were the twelve Paul mentions. The Gospels clearly teach that Jesus appeared to the twelve several times. Three times in Jerusalem, once without Thomas present, and the second time with Thomas present, and just before he ascended into heaven on the top of the Mount of Olives. And twice he appeared to them in Galilee, once by the Sea of Galilee when he prepared breakfast for his disciples, and a second time on a mountain, and so in total five times. It's possible that he appeared more often during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, but none of these appearances are recorded in Scripture, and so Paul does not mention them either. The next group of witnesses were the 500, and these were probably people from Galilee. And it's likely that this appearance took place while Jesus met with his disciples on the mountain in Galilee. Significantly, Paul says that while some of them had fallen asleep, which was Paul's way of speaking about the death of believers, as we'll see in a moment, many of them were still alive. The implication was that it was possible for anyone who doubted that Christ had physically risen from the dead to go ahead and ask one of these people themselves. The next witness that Paul mentions is James. Now, this was not the brother of John, but the brother of Jesus and the leader of the church of Jerusalem and the author of the epistle by that same name. Although initially, like all of his older brothers, James did not believe in Jesus, but he did most likely after Jesus appeared to him on the day that he rose from the dead. The final witness is Paul himself, and this, of course, took place on the road to Damascus. And to that list, we could add Mary Magdalene and the women who were on their way back to Jerusalem. And we could speak of the two men on the way to Emmaus. Now, none of them are mentioned by the Apostle Paul here in our text chapter, but they are all recorded in the Gospels. The point is, there were many witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in a court of law, usually only one witness is enough to win a case. But when it comes to the resurrection of Christ, we have hundreds of witnesses. 
And some of these witnesses, namely the twelve, saw him several times. And for that reason, we strongly affirm with the apostle that Christ has indeed risen from the dead. My friends, this is not simply a matter of faith. This is a fact. And to deny that is to fly in the face of the evidence. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important to affirm the resurrection of Christ? That brings us to our third point. For the Apostle Paul, belief in the resurrection of Christ was absolutely essential. And he explains why in verses 13 through 19. In these verses, Paul lists no less than six consequences of denying the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. First of all, he says that if Christ has not risen from the dead, then the preaching of the gospel is empty, vain, meaningless, pointless. The promise of the gospel is that those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will receive the pardon of all of their sins and the gift of everlasting life. But if Christ did not rise from the dead, then there is no promise to proclaim. If you deny the resurrection of Christ, you rip the very heart and soul out of the gospel. Secondly, Paul says that if Christ has not risen from the dead, then our faith is also empty, meaning vain, meaningless, pointless. That's because a dead Savior cannot give life. And if he cannot give life, then what is the point of believing in him? Faith in Christ would be utterly pointless. Thirdly, Paul says if Christ has not risen from the dead, then the apostles are found false witnesses of God. And that's because the apostles preached that he did. And Paul says as much in verse 3, he writes, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But if there is no resurrection, then the apostles are liars. But to say that the apostles are liars, that's quite an accusation. And that would require some evidence to support such an accusation. It would also fail to answer the question why the disciples would suffer so much and even die for this truth if it was a lie. People don't die to preserve a lie. Fourthly, Paul says, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we are still in our sins. Paul here is reminding us that the resurrection of Christ is the ultimate proof that God was satisfied with his atoning work. If he wasn't, then Christ would never have risen from the dead. But the fact that he did assures us that all of our sins have been forgiven. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God, and to us has been given the gift of everlasting life. But if Christ did not rise from the dead, then none of that would be true. We would still be completely and utterly lost. Fifthly, Paul says, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, to fall asleep in Jesus is an expression the Apostle Paul often uses to describe the death of believers. They're not dead, they're just sleeping, awaiting the day when they will be woken up on the day of resurrection. But, Paul says, if Christ did not die from the dead, then believers are not just sleeping, they have utterly perished. The sixth and final argument that Paul uses here is this. If Christ has not risen from the dead, then we are all of all men most pitiable. Now, why the most pitiable? Well, because we would believe in a pipe dream. 
We would believe in something that is not true, that is contrary to fact, that does not exist in reality. And there's nothing more pathetic, nothing more pitiable than a person who believes with all their heart in something that simply isn't true. The point is, belief in the resurrection of Christ is absolutely essential. Like the doctrine of justification by faith alone, it's the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Take away this doctrine, and you take away the very foundation of our religion and of our hope. And therefore we say with the Apostle Paul, but now Christ is risen from the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, therefore, is vitally important, but it is also wonderfully comforting. And that brings us to our fourth and final point. The fact that Christ has risen from the dead means that he has become, as Paul says here, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now there we have that expression again. Who are these people who have fallen asleep? Well, this is a reference to believers who have passed away. The New Testament frequently describes believers who have passed away as sleeping, particularly in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Now that has led some, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists, to argue that the soul of the believer does not immediately enter into heaven at death. Instead, it enters into an unconscious state until the day of resurrection. We call that the doctrine of soul sleep. But my friends, that is not at all what the Bible teaches. In the first place, the Bible never specifies that either the body or the soul falls asleep at death, but that the person, that is body and soul, who has died, sleeps. Secondly, the term sleep does not necessarily have to refer to an unconscious state of existence. It could also be interpreted as a term to describe what happens in death. Namely, that we rest from our earthly labors and awaken to newness of life in glory. Thirdly, the Bible clearly speaks of believers having conscious communion of life with God immediately after death. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Why then does Paul refer to believers who have died as those who have fallen asleep. Well, this is what we call a euphemism. That is, it's a softer word to describe something that is more disturbing. In this case, the word sleep is used to describe the death of the believer. It conveys that for the believer, the sting and terror of death has been removed, and that one day their bodies, in a manner of speaking, will be woken up on the day of resurrection. Now, Paul says that those who have fallen asleep, they will rise because Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. Now, that word first fruits is taken from the Old Testament ceremonial law. Every year at the beginning of the harvest, the people of Israel were required to bring a representative sample of their harvest to the tabernacle and later to the temple. And this was as a thank offering to God. The first fruits, as they were called, represented the entire harvest which had yet to be gathered in. And so by dedicating the first fruits to God, the people of Israel were dedicating the entire harvest to God. And they were also expressing their confidence that more would follow, that in a few weeks the full harvest would be gathered in for another year. Now Paul takes that concept and he applies it to the resurrection of Christ. 
The resurrection of Christ, he says, is a first fruit in the sense that it is a pledge, it is a guarantee of the general resurrection yet to come. In other words, because Christ rose from the dead, his people will rise from the dead as well. Now, under the surface here, of course, is the doctrine of union with Christ. According to this doctrine, which is very prevalent in Paul's writings, the doctrine of union with Christ holds that the believer is spiritually united to Christ. And that means, as we saw earlier, when Christ died, believers died with him. Similarly, when Christ rose and ascended into heaven, believers rose and ascended with him. And the same is true when it comes to his resurrection. The fact that Christ rose from the dead means that his people will also rise from the dead. In this sense, he is the first fruits of them that slept. His resurrection guarantees their own glorious resurrection on the day of judgment. A child of God, is that not a great comfort? The great comfort of the resurrection of Christ for the believer is knowing that we will not remain in the grave. We will rise from the dead. And that's not just wishful thinking. It's not even a promise. It is an ironclad guarantee. We shall be raised. Just as surely as Christ rose from the dead, so we shall be raised in him. Do you understand what that means? That means that death has lost its sting. All of us one day must die unless the Lord returns. Our bodies must return to the ground from which they were formed. But for the believer, death is not the end. It is only a passageway leading to everlasting life. Because Christ rose from the dead, those who are in Christ will also rise from the dead, and they shall live and reign with him, body and soul, forever and ever and ever. And this is why the Apostle at the end of this chapter in verses 55 through 57 writes these famous words, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul understood that in his resurrection Christ achieved victory over death, and that those who are in him share in that victory. And so the resurrection of Christ is a great comfort for the believer. This is part of the comforting message of Easter. Oh, may the Lord give us grace to live out of that comfort every day until he comes again. Amen. Dear friends, we always appreciate it when we hear from our listeners. If you were blessed by the message you have heard today, or if you were blessed by previous messages on this program, won't you please take a moment and let us know. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or feel free to give me a call at 778 978- 9829102 and please remember to include the call letters of this station if you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again or if you would like more information about our program including how to contact us 
and how to listen to other messages on our program, please visit our website at Banner of Truth Radio. That's all one word, BannerOfTruthRadio.com. If you would like more information about the Free Reformed Churches of North America, which sponsors this broadcast, please log on to our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us with the costs associated with this program, you can do so by sending us a check in any amount or making a donation in the donation section of our webpage. We heartily thank you for your prayers and your financial support. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.